episode number 13, our Bam Adebayo, our Bogdan Bogdanovich, our Jaron Jackson Jr. episode. I'm sure there's more players with the jersey number 13, but those are the ones that came to the top of my head this morning. Happy Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving week. Lots of NBA to talk about. 12 games are happening later tonight, which means 24 of the 30 teams in the league will be suiting up before the league has Thanksgiving off. Man, we got a lot to get to. Let's get to some headlines, some of my personal thoughts about last night with Ben Simmons making his long-awaited return to Philadelphia, and then glossing over some of those games we've got tomorrow. Before I get into all of that, as always, I will kindly ask you to rate, share, subscribe, and do all that wonderful stuff to give this podcast some of the best publicity you can and share it with all your psycho fanatics who like to scream from the sidelines just like me and just like you if you were listening to this. I'm so happy about where things have gone on Believe and Man, there's just a lot of great talent. I, I am so lucky to be a part of this network and so many great podcasts here, but we'll get into all of that another time. Right now, this is about the basketball, and we're going to start with a team that I spent a good chunk of last episode diving into, a team in the Central Division that has now won seven of their last eight games, and they're fourth in the Eastern Conference, the Indiana Pacers. Wow, okay, good for the Pacers, a team that people thought weren't really going to do much of anything this year. Uh, One of my good friends, who I talk a lot of basketball with, did bring up the fact that their schedule has been on the easier side on paper, and that is true. So I'll acknowledge that, but perhaps with more parity across the league than in past years, I think it further validates Indiana right now. They are second in the league in assists per game only to the Golden State Warriors. So they're playing like a team that's been the best dynasty over the last decade. And it seems like this Tyrese Halliburton trade is really paying off. It seems like this Benedict Matherin draft pick is really paying off. And shout out to guys like Miles Turner who are also stepping up early in the season. They play a little bit later See if they can make it 8 out of 9. Let's also talk about the Beam Team. Sacramento Kings have now won 7 in a row with the way they closed it out in Memphis last night. I don't know if you all caught this, but Malik Monk was at the free throw line late in the game and John Morant was telling him, Hey man, don't miss, don't miss. Monk kept his cool, stepped up, made the free throws, and then when John Morant got fouled, It's like he got in his own head. He missed one too. But hey, you know what? If you're going to be the type of player that talks, sometimes it comes back to bite you. And that is no real criticism against John Morant. For the most part, he's able to back up every bit of talk that he throws out there with the way he plays at pretty much an MVP type of level. He was good to see him back there after he only missed one game with that ankle injury. We've discussed on the show before a player like that always has the risk of being injured with the way he flies up and down the court, jumps up in the air, pretty small size, explosive athlete. So 
Good to see that it wasn't more of a long-term injury. Uh, another team... Actually, you know what? No, stay on the Kings. Stay on the Kings because I got to give them a little bit more respect. Right now, they are leading the league in points per game at 121.4. They have the best field goal percentage in the league. Only teams shooting above 50%. They are 50.2. Uh, they do have the fourth worst defensive rating right now. So... You have to wonder if this type of run is sustainable in the long term because at some point, offenses get into a little bit of a rut. I know that when it gets into the playoffs or even more playoff-like basketball, uh, it gets tough for these teams. You know, the offenses tighten up down the stretch. Defense often is what sends people further in the bracket and toward a title. But this is early in the season and they have time to figure it out. Mike Brown is very much the adult in the room that Sacramento was hoping to see when they made that hire. De'Aaron Fox is playing his face off. DeMontis Sabonis looks like Sacramento's benefiting from that trade as well last year. Malik Monk is making great contributions off the bench. Keegan Murray's got room for growth. Terrence Davis is a guy that has been making some great contributions. And Kevin Herter, I mean, wow, was anyone really expecting this? From the guy who was a nice role player on the Hawks? I don't think so. Good for Kevin Herter and the way he's been playing. So, you know, going back to the Kings defense, I'll also say this. The Nuggets and Warriors are also bottom six in that category. They're the two teams that come after the Kings in lowest defensive rating. Uh, both of those teams, Nuggets and Warriors, are believed to be title contenders. So right now, it's not the end of the world, but it's something to look out for as the season progresses for Sacramento. The Beam team, keep the purple beam lit out of the Golden 1 Center because there's a new wave of excitement in Sacktown. Speaking of excitement, I'm going to completely flip it the other way around and talk about a team that has continued to underwhelm me. I know I've been really hard on the Minnesota Timberwolves, even before the season, I was all over them saying how it wasn't going to work. I'm not actively rooting against them, but let's look at some of the facts. Last year, they led the league in points per game scored. Now, a title claimed by the Sacramento Kings for the moment. Right now, they are 28th in third quarter scoring margin. So, they're not coming out of the break very well. Uh, that number is made better by the fact that they just outscored the injured Miami Heat by 18 points in the third quarter in their previous game. But they still are not very good when it comes to halftime adjustments in that regard. Uh, their scoring average is a little bit down, which was to be expected when you sacrificed everything you did to get Rudy Gobert, who is known as a premier defender, not a scorer. And look, the Timberwolves do pick it up in the fourth. They are sixth in the league with their fourth quarter scoring margin, but their 9-8 record is telling me that it's not super indicative of the fact that they are just closing teams out. Their defense has been solid, but not stifling. So you've got to wonder if the immediate benefits of the Rudy Gobert trade even outweigh the costs right now. I know it's early in the season, but this is a team that people believed could be a top three seed in a loaded Western Conference, and right now, they're just not looking anything close to that. D'Angelo Russell is inconsistent. Anthony Edwards has had his highs and lows. Rudy Gobert helps the defense, but 
is this two-man, big-man system with Towns and Gobert out there really working? Time will tell again. The Timberwolves play a little bit later tonight. So that's all I've got on Minnesota for today. Let's talk about the big story. The elephant in the room. Ben Simmons returned to Philly last night. It was the long-awaited return. And not exactly what everyone was hoping for in terms of just a fan watching the game because for the Sixers, there was no Joel Embiid. There was no James Harden. There was no Tyrese Maxey. But the one thing you can't escape is the fans. And credit to the fans. As far as we know, no one did anything reckless or incredibly stupid. I know Philly fans certainly have a reputation for going a little bit off the rails. They just booed the guy, which is totally acceptable. No behavior that was just lifetime banned from the arena worthy, which we've seen before. So that's not me being hyperbolic. And... Ben Simmons, he did get booed, as predicted, but he actually had a really nice first half. He came out, looked really smooth, three assists right off the bat. At the break, he had nine points, five assists, three rebounds, two steals, a block, and he was three for four from the free throw line. So a really, really well-rounded effort from Ben Simmons, who seems comfortable, he seemed calm, and yeah, the second half wasn't perfect. You know, he did some brickin' for chicken, which is the 76ers little campaign where if in the second half somebody goes 0 for 2 from the free throw line, everybody gets free chicken tenders. And that was Ben just contributing to the cause. But if that's the worst thing that happened, Ben Simmons getting everyone free chicken tenders, not a terrible night for a guy that has had so many eyes on him for the better part of a year and a half. He still finished with an 11 point, 11 assist double double. He also had three steals and three blocks. And I'm going to say this you can agree with me, you can disagree with me. I'm happy for Ben Simmons. Sure, it was a little annoying the way things ended in Philly. I get why he had a lot of backlash after the way that series ended with Atlanta. In seven games, and the Sixers were supposed to go on to the conference finals. Ben Simmons didn't have a very great series, especially game seven, when he infamously passed up an open dunk. Instead, to pass it off, his free throw shooting was abysmal. We understand all of that. But like most things, after a certain amount of time, they've run their course. And at this point... I'm not going to continue rooting against a basketball player to have his career ruined. I hope he can continue to build on the stretch of games he's put together and find some joy in the game again in Brooklyn. I'm not here to just hate on Ben Simmons. I don't want to spend the rest of his career just bringing up the stains that we talk about from a couple of years ago. I mean, at some point, things get old, like Kevin Durant making his choice to go to Golden State. I mean, you could even tell the public got a little tired of that at some point. He tore his Achilles. He sacrificed for the team. He missed a year, and now he's playing on Brooklyn, where, for the most part, he's coping well by being stuck in a team that's a little bit dysfunctional. Now he's Ben Simmons' teammate. You don't see a lot of hate coming Kevin Durant's way, and sure, there's still some people that resent him for that decision he made in 2016, but it's not... Like, the entire world is against Kevin Durant, and I'm preaching that same sentiment here with Ben Simmons. Who cares? 
let the guy just have a chance at redeeming his career, okay? Like, you don't have to like Ben Simmons. You don't have to root for him. But don't you feel like it's a little bit of a waste of energy to just spend every waking second as a fan finding any little thing where you can just make fun of Ben Simmons? The guy's not amazing right now. He's just putting it back together. He had back issues. He has had some knee issues. And you can't really quantify the impact of mental health and everything he was going through. So we don't really know that. It's not really our job to speculate there. Good for you, Ben Simmons. I hope to see you build on this performance. And congratulations to the Philadelphia 76ers because, yeah, Simmons had a solid performance, but guess what? The Nets lost to a team that was completely destroyed with injury, and Brooklyn is a mess. I mean, in the spirit of this oddly scheduled Winter World Cup, I will just say that not even Memo Ochoa can save the Nets with Kyrie Irving out there. Uh, Wish I saw a better effort. I thought they started the game so smooth, and then they let the league's worst offensive rebounding team just destroy them on the offensive glass. And a lot of it really just seemed to come down to effort. I like Jock Vaughn. I hope that this team continues to play hard for him. And KD is usually the type of player that responds well to underwhelming performances. But Brooklyn has a long way to go if they want to be a playoff team. Let's move over to Wednesday's games. Because like I said earlier, we got 12 of them. Uh, Again, if you plan on placing any bets, please check the injury reports beforehand. It is a constant moving cycle, and I, for one, can barely keep up with it. So it's always good to check before you sacrifice a little bit of your money. Well, we just spoke about the 76ers. They play at the Charlotte Hornets, and I just want to lead off by saying that I'm sad that Tyrese Maxey is out for a month with a foot fracture. He was climbing the odds board to win most improved player. This will probably set him back a little bit. I still don't think he's completely out of it. But man, I love Tyrese Maxey and just wishing him the best in this recovery process. I typically don't like betting on games where all the best players are injured, especially when one of the teams is far better than the other under normal circumstances. And that's exactly what you get with Philly. If I had to bet, I'd probably take the Hornets, even as a five-point favorite, I mean, think about it. The Sixers came off their emotional home win. Now they go on the road on a back-to-back with all their best players out. It just looks like a prototypical letdown spot for Philadelphia. This isn't a normal 76ers unit that's trotting out there tonight. And with Joel Embiid expected to miss this game as well, just not worth really betting on it. If I had to bet, I'd go Charlotte. But uh, Sixers are just a little too inconsistent right now for me to worry about that one. Trailblazers at Cavaliers. This is a really enticing one because Cleveland covers the spread as well as anyone at home. They're 6-1-1. One one. Portland, however, covers the spread better than anyone on the road. They're 8-1. and one. So they've only been favored on the road once this year, and they've covered the spread seven of the eight times they were underdogs. So that's kind of making me feel a little bit nice about Portland who's played surprisingly awesome as a team without Damian Lillard who unfortunately will be sidelined for another one to two weeks where he'll get re-evaluated so right now the Blazers 
uh, sorry, Cleveland, that is, is favored by eight points, which is a lot. And here's what I like about Portland. I like them in late game situations because they're making about 20 free throws per game on average of 26 attempts. So when they can't find any answers on offense, they're getting to the line and staying in games that way. If you think Cleveland's going to win this game at home after the skid they've had, I think that's a very fair pick. I do believe that eight points is a lot, especially given that Portland has been underestimated for most of the season. So I would probably bet Portland plus eight, but it's going to be a really interesting game and I can't wait to watch it. Timberwolves at Pacers. Well, it's a team that I'm optimistic about and a team that I'm not so high on. Well, look, this is a chance for the Timberwolves to stifle one of the league's hottest offenses, and it's a chance for the Pacers to continue their run on their home court. So I was wrong betting the over against the Magic the other night when the Pacers played the Magic, but I'm inclined to do it again in this matchup because these are the fourth and fifth fastest-paced teams going up against each other. So you can expect a lot of possessions. In addition to that, we know that Indiana loves to shoot the three. They're scoring almost 40% of their points from beyond the arc, which puts them in the top three of teams and distribution in the league, I think. So they are very three-point happy, and so far it's working in their favor. I know that Minnesota has a solid defense, but it's not a top-five unit immediately like a lot of people were expecting scoring can be a little inconsistent from that team but if I had to pick anything in this game I would probably take the over which I'll double check this right now it's listed at 237 which is really high I'm honestly willing to go above that mark but if you think it's a little risky maybe pump the brakes on it Minnesota is favored by two so, again, if you like Indiana to continue this run, there's another fun bet for you. Sacramento Kings at Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are so fascinating to me. They're like the opposite of the Knicks, who are steady, solid, probably won't do anything horrible, but probably nothing special either. And the Hawks have all the potential to be one of the most potent teams in the East, but their lack of offensive efficiency and inconsistent shooting has made them capable of laying some eggs early on in the season. Sacramento is 5-1 and one against the spread. Pardon me, 6-1 and one now after last night on the road. And the Hawks are just 4-5 and five against the spread at home. But they've had some injuries to deal with. So I'm not, con- uh, I'm not too concerned about that mark for the Hawks. The Kings are playing a back-to-back. They had a close game last night in Memphis, but they've covered the spread both times. They've had a rest disadvantage this year as well. Interesting to see if Vegas will start catching on to the Kings, a team they probably went on autopilot with early on and just decided to underestimate. So currently this game, and I will double check that for you, Atlanta is favored by four and a half points. The over-under is set at 241 and a half. So... Vegas is also anticipating a shootout here. Four and a half points is doable for the Kings, who have been competitive in just about every game that they have played, unless they're the ones doing the whipping like they did against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, 
I don't know. It's a tough one. But if I had to bet, I'd probably continue to ride this wave with the beam team until I am shown otherwise. One thing I do like about the Hawks, though, is that even with their lack of efficiency, they've taken care of the ball. They got the third fewest turnovers per game. And this is also a team that's top 10 in pace. So it's not just one of those fewer possessions equals fewer turnovers sorts of things. No, the Hawks are... They're good. They're good at taking care of the ball. They just need to find a way to get more efficient. They have the potential. They just need to find a way to limit those valleys and increase those peaks. If I'm a betting man, I would be more drawn to the stability of the Kings at the moment. But I believe we could have a great game on our hands. Mavericks at Celtics. This is a great measuring stick game for Dallas, in my opinion. They have the second... No, they have the fewest second half points per game which means that they better have a lead after two quarters against the Celtics team but who do you think has the most first half points per game it's the Celtics nearly 62 on average the Celtics are coming off a loss in Chicago that snapped their win streak they're obviously not perfect as great as Tatum and Brown have been playing is Dallas a team that can contend with some of the best in the league, or does this upper echelon of the league have an answer to stop Luka Doncic and expose the Mavs' weaknesses? I've got to give the Mavericks a shout-out here because they're on the extremes of so many statistical categories. So they've been one of my favorite squads to follow this year. Here are some that I'll read off to you. They're last in team assists per game. They are last in team rebounds per game. They are the first in fewest turnovers per game. They are second in team steals per game. They are sixth in three-pointers made per game. Third in free throws attempted per game. But they have the fifth worst free throw percentage as a team. So you're kind of getting everything with Dallas here. And we know they're very Luka Doncic dependent. We know that they added Christian Wood, and he's tried to fill in in that sixth-man role. Still a lot to see with Dallas. Uh, right now, this game has the Celtics favored at 4.5 points. Over-under is 218.5, which seems low for a Boston team playing at home. But a lot of Dallas games have been hitting the under lately, so I would say be wary of that, especially if the Celtics defense tries to get the ball out of Luka's hands. We could be in for a real treat. And if Dallas wins this game, I will have a whole new perspective on this Mavericks team. My opinion on Luka Doncic is not going to change one way or another. It's about can the Mavericks, not Luka Doncic, can the Mavericks as a whole contend for a title after getting to the final four teams last year? Washington Wizards at Miami Heat. Truthfully, not much to say here. The Heat are going to be fine, but right now they're very injured, and it's better that this happens in November than in April. Still favored by one and a half points is Miami, but this is the kind of game I would stay away from, and honestly, I haven't spent a ton of time following the Washington Wizards to this point. Brooklyn Nets after a bad loss at Toronto. And I really like this matchup because it's one of the most underachieving teams versus one of the most overachieving teams in the league. Let's talk about Toronto because they've spent a lot of time on Brooklyn. 
The Raptors are the only team averaging double-digit steals per game. They are one of six teams averaging over six blocks per game, so they make it hard to score in the paint. I like Scotty Barnes a lot, but they don't really have a superstar, and they're more than playoff caliber as a team. So that's a 9-8 and eight team that I'm impressed with so far. They have the same record as Minnesota, who I've continued to rag on over and over, but there are very different circumstances in those two franchises, in two different states, in fact, two different countries, if you're going to go all the way to Canada. So currently, Nets are on a back-to-back. Toronto is favored, I imagine, yes, by two and a half points. KD might have a good response tonight, but the Nets, when they trot Kyrie Irving out there, just seems like things are not going well. I would not bet on the Nets. I would either bet Toronto or just stay away from this game as a whole. Bulls at Bucks. Well, the Bulls, just when you think they're a complete mess, they will pull out a great win. Uh, the Bucks, after Giannis and the latter mini-scandal, have also bounced back. Chris Middleton and Wesley Matthews have been assigned to the Wisconsin Herd as a next step in returning to NBA action, so we love our G League as well. And I know this is quite boring, but when Giannis plays, it's hard to bet against the stability of the Bucks at home. The Bulls, I like them. I want them to do well. I think they're fun when they are playing well. I think the league is more fun. In fact, I'm rooting for Lonzo Ball to come back and get into form with his injury. But why would I go and bet against Milwaukee when they've had a rough patch and they're finally starting to get things back on track? They've got one of the best players in the entire world. Some people would say the single best player. And so it's hard for me to just be like, yeah, you know what, Bucks at home, I'm just not going to touch that one. No, I would like Milwaukee, and as I'm searching for the spread right now, I see they're favored by 6.5 points, which is a lot. So if you think that the Bucks might still be a little shaky without their second-best player, you could make a case for betting the Bulls. I honestly think they can win this game by double digits. The Bulls just had a big win. They've beaten the Celtics twice now, so they've got the potential but they've had their effort questioned at times. They are very DeMar DeRozan scoring dependent. And if Zach Levine's not shooting the ball well, they could be in for a long night. Few more games to get to. Final four, here we go. Nuggets at Thunder. Uh, lots of discussion around the Warriors and their defensive struggles to start the year. You know who else is in that category? The Nuggets. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have been stuck in health and safety protocols Ish Smith and Jeff Green have also been on the injury report. And Bones Highland has a banged up hip right now. So just monitor the Nuggets before you bet on this game. I think the over makes a lot of sense if you get Jokic and a healthy Thunder lineup. If there's no Jokic, you might have to look at where Denver will get their points. Uh, the Nuggets are 1-2 and two since Jokic went into health and safety protocols. Jamal Murray is obviously working his way back from the ACL. Currently, this spread is at Denver minus three, so based on that, I would expect to see Nikola Jokic out there, but again, just monitor that one and maybe don't bet till about an hour before the game. Pelicans at Spurs. Ooh, I really like the Pelicans in terms of their fourth quarter point differential, their leadership, and their depth when they are not plagued with injury. 
even after a hot start against the spread, the Spurs have come back down to earth a little bit. Now an even 9-9 nine and nine against the spread. So they've battled some injuries as well. Devin Vassell has missed some games here and there. And right now with the Spurs, they are 7.5-point underdogs at home. So, yeah, you know what? I still think if you get a Zion, Ingram, CJ McCollum lineup, that's probably enough for the Pelicans to get the job done in San Antonio. They didn't have to play a back-to-back. Uh, they had a really easy pass. Their most recent game was the Warriors coming to town and not playing any of their starters besides Kavon Looney. So Pelicans should be well-rested. I would like them even with the big spread. Pistons at Jazz, not a ton on this one. The Jazz coming off a loss against the Clippers. The Pistons will be on a back-to-back. Really not much to say here. The Pistons are injured, lost, and have the worst defense in the league, so betting Utah here should feel like the obvious play. The spread is a little absurd, though. 11.5 points. I don't really like betting double-digit spreads, to tell you the truth, because do I want my money in the same territory as garbage time. I personally would stay away from this game. If I had to bet one way or another on the spread, I would go with Utah just because they have been able to fill it up in the offensive box score categories, but I think 11.5 is too many points to bet on a team that most people expected to stink at the start of the year, and a lot of people still do expect to come down to earth sooner rather than later last game Clippers at Warriors look the Warriors don't have the luxury of tanking games in the way that they're used to but they rested their starters minus Kevon Looney against the Pelicans and they're returning to the Chase Center to face a Clippers team that may or may not have their two best players available so like what do you want me to say bet against my dubs when Steph is doing what he's doing and now Clay just had a 41 point performance to silence the critics for just a moment I mean, currently, it's Warriors minus 10, another double-digit spread, so I don't know how much I love that. The Clippers' defense is very sound and cohesive. If Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both not playing, I honestly might wait to see how this line moves because we know Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and guys like that are capable of filling it up on offense if they have to. Warriors are a little unpredictable to go and bet a double-digit spread, but just monitor this injury report and see if the line moves one way or another. I think the Warriors at home should have no problem putting this game away. I'll end everything with my favorite stat of the week. Yeah, I'm incredibly biased, okay? Here it is. The best offensive rating by a two-man lineup this season with a minimum of 200 minutes played. Number one. Looney and Steph Curry, 129.2. Number two, Looney and Draymond, 128.6. And number three, Looney and Clay, 125.0. So yeah, Kevon Looney might not be the flashiest player, but as we like to say in my household, Looney is life. Okay, that's going to do it for our little Thanksgiving week episode of Screaming from the Sidelines. And I just want to thank you all for your support. Don't forget to rate, share, subscribe. Find me on Twitter. I'm Greg Silver. And man, lots of basketball coming your way as we head 
into the holiday season. So keep screaming, but save the voices just a little bit for those family holiday debates. All right, that's going to do it, and I'll see you next week with lots more juicy content coming your way. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.